Welcome and thank you for joining us for the Church by the Glades podcast. If you would like more information about Church by the Glades, including service times and directions, visit cbglades.com. We hope you enjoy today's message. Oh, what is up? What is up, CBG? Real quick, if you're a guest, my name is David. I'm one of the pastors of Church by the Glades. If you're not a guest, I have been out for a few weeks. I had a little, uh, look, you've got to recall you to be a pastor. I highly recommend it. I love, I love spending my life this way. I love loving the church of Jesus Christ. I love you all so much. I love teaching the word. But one of the few sacrifices of being a pastor is you do surrender some of your privacy. So I was trying to have a little surgical procedure done under the radar, and the word kind of got out. So yeah. So uh, on Valentine's Day, I did something very romantic. I had hip surgery. So um, I have a titanium hip they put in two and a half weeks ago, but I'm, I'm listen, Praise God for modern medicine. I'm moving around pretty well. I want to say thank you to my doctor. My doctor is Dr. Chan, a nice guy. I know he looks like, I have a picture. Looks like Mario Lopez did my surgery. It's not Mario Lopez, uh, Dr. Chan. By the way, Christian guy prayed this long, beautiful prayer before the procedure. So kind. So gave me great confidence. Anyway, so, I, so I'm back. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a little gimpy. I've been telling the front row, Michael, if I fall, fall off, just push me back up here, if you will. And because uh, I'm just two and a half weeks out, I am preaching on pain meds today. So I'm telling you what I might say. Just get ready for that. So uh, find, if you will, uh, Exodus chapter 16. Exodus chapter 16. So glad to be with you. Let's jump to it. So when I do walk around over there, I meet new people. And I'm talking to this, this couple. I thought they were new. They weren't. They were senior adults. And uh, he's asking me questions, you know, just fun church questions. But his last question was, the guy smiled and said, now, I'd like to know as well, what kind of car does the preacher drive? She blushed, he smiled, he's messing with me. I, I, I don't, again, there's not much privacy in what I do. I said, I, I drive an Infiniti SUV. Uh, I got it, it, you know, I always buy, they call it pre-owned, used. I always buy a used car. I don't like that depreciation the first couple of years. So a couple of years old, I got, it's, it's a nice car. It's, it's a decent car. So, so Elise and I, we're far from rich. We're not, we're not wealthy at all, but if you want a broke preacher to be your pastor, I hope to disappoint you because I don't want to be that. Being broke is not spiritual. It just means you manage your money poorly. And so Elise and I, you know, we're not well off or anything. We, we do okay, mainly because we practice those principles that we teach you in Financial Peace University. And uh, we offer that. It's, it's a nine-week course. It's phenomenal. It's kind of the basic bricks and sticks on how to manage income. And we don't do a very good job in America teaching our kids how to do that. Uh, so we, we teach you how to build a budget and how to build margin into your budget and uh, how to invest. That's the secret to generating wealth is how to invest uh, and then how to deal with debt. So it is so helpful. But I grew up in a family that did this. So uh, I grew up with a dad who was a blue collar worker, but managed his meager income so well. My dad paid cash for every single car. My dad paid cash for every house after the first house he and my grandfather built with their own hands. So I grew up in that family. My dad, you know, working, you know, at Eastern Airlines, put all three of us kids to private Christian college without school debt. So, man, he managed money. So, now we, we didn't have a lot of frills. We didn't eat out at restaurants a whole lot, but we didn't lack for anything. But I learned it from him. And my dad was so conservative, he made Dave Ramsey look like a liberal. So uh, I just said, these things work. And if you invest your money wisely, uh, so, so listen, so... Uh, I know what you drive. I drive a used Infiniti SUV. But when the guy asked me that, I know he's kind of picking at me and being a little nosy. I said, well, you think that car is, let me tell you about my last car. My last car before that was awesome. 
My last car before this one was the, my favorite car all time. I'm not a big car guy. Any car people? Any car people? Any car guys? All right, your car. I'm not really a car guy. I've always driven like normal cars. But it, my friends were selling their SUV. And this was a big beautiful black SUV. It had these cool rims, man. Now, it was six years old. That's older than I typically like to go, but they kept it here in Florida at their second home, very few miles, garage kept, uh, maintained beautifully, right? And so I trusted them and, and they're, they're awesome people. And this car, oh my gosh, it was, it was a beautiful car. And uh, Lisa said, do it. You know, treat yourself at this point. You're like, treat yourself to the car. So I, I bought this car and this car, Guys, I love that. I'm not a car guy, but I felt like a member of the Secret Service driving around the president, this big, beautiful SUV. I loved the car. The rims were amazing. I'm not too cheap to pay for rims like that, but oh my gosh, amazing, amazing. But that big, beautiful car was in the shop twice for major repairs in the first four weeks. But my friends have no idea, no idea. They, they, they have no idea. Uh, to, and the second time, my mechanic, Roger, who I really trust, Roger did some research, said, David, the car, and it wasn't a Mercedes or Tesla, it was an American-made car. I uh, said, the, the car, uh, the make and model is great, but that year is a lemon. That year has all kinds of problems. I advise you to change cars. And I was like, I don't want to change cars. I mentioned it was, it's beautiful and big and these rims, right? I mentioned that the car was so pretty. I love driving that. I don't want to change it. And by the way, anytime you, you flip cars, you take a financial hit. And I thought it was going to cost me money. I'll just ride it out. I'm sure it's going to be. I, I didn't want to change cars. Leads to this question. Why don't we change when we really need to change? And by the way, I'm no longer talking about cars. Why is God's chosen people why as saved people do we continue in dysfunction, continue with addictions, continue in these terrible toxic relationships, just recycle our dumb decisions over and over? We, we, we know better. We know better and we want to change and we tried to change and worse. So here's my big question. Why, why don't we change when we know we need to change? It's not like God's not on board. God loves to change people. God's favorite things to do, uh, save people, save people. If you're not a saved person, not certain and sure you're going to heaven, we can fix that today. Yeah. You come to a prayer partner at the end of the service, and they can show you, faith can't they? Your team can show them the promises in the Bible. You can walk out of here knowing that you've punched your ticket for heaven. God loves to qualify people for heaven. God loves to forgive people. God loves to redeem people. But maybe his favorite thing to do, he loves to change people. You stay in the Old Testament Exodus, but I can show you Romans 12, 2, where it says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed, be transformed by the renewing of your mind, because the way God begins to change your life, he changes your mind. He changes the way you think before he changes the way you live, but God's all about transformation, or I could take you to uh, 2 Corinthians 5, 17 on the screen right now. This one talks about how profound the scope and scale of God's transformation is. It says, therefore, if any man or any woman be in Christ, be a saved person, it says, he or she is a new creature. I love the language. It's not like just God changes the religious part of your life or something superficial or some facade. No, you become an entire new spiritual species, a new creature. You spiritually mutate the moment you change, you're saved. That's how profound the change is. See, that matters. Every, every creature, every animal has its own nature. Now, a lion acts one way and a Labrador acts another way. You have a new creature. You're a new creature with a new nature. It should drive new behavior. You should change. So why don't we change? Why don't we change? 
So the message today, if you're new to our church, I love to teach verse by verse. I love to teach a long, powerful, pregnant uh, passage in the scripture, all kinds of truth and dissect it. But another way to teach is topical. The way to understand a topical sermon is this, leftovers, leftovers. Uh, if you do leftovers, you're left, make some noise. I'm clapping, I love me some leftovers. Now, anybody here, by the way, this is a no judgment zone, no judgment. Anybody here, you don't do leftovers, no leftovers. Raise your hand, won't, won't you? Don't do, don't. okay, I get, I get that, I get that. Like my daughter, she's watching in Nashville. She doesn't do leftovers, but now she's living on her own, so my guess is she'll start doing leftovers. <laughs> if you don't do leftovers, again, I'm not judging you. Uh, there are some foods, I would agree, do not make good leftovers. They don't warm up very well. Breakfast food does not warm up very well, right? Seafood, in my opinion, not great as far as leftover. Oh, sushi, never, never. But folks, listen, other food, man, better the next day. Yeah. Italian warms up really well, right? Really, uh, uh, Tex-Mex, Tex-Mex, the Bible says is Jesus' favorite food. Tex-Mex is, is good the next day. Cuban food, Cuban food, oh man, Cuban food is so good. Man, you and I go to Padrino's together and uh, you, you get a roast compoyo and I get lechana asado and you don't finish yours, I'll say, I'll say, do you have a cold? Do you have a cold? Because you don't do leftovers? Give me your leftovers. I'll have a feast the next day. So the talk today is kind of like that amazing leftover meal. Not, not things that didn't make the cut the first time, but some things before I ta stop talking about the whole Exodus thing, those 40 years where God's people go from brokenness and bondage to blessing. Where they go from slavery in Egypt for centuries to freedom and possession of the promised land. Before I let this go, leftovers. There's some things I cannot leave unsaid. In fact, I want to set it up. I'll put the pressure on myself. This may be the most important sermon I share with you all year long. I'm going to show you four or five reasons why we don't change. And you can fix these things and you can transform your life. So why, why, why as God's people saved and redeemed, why don't we change? Five reasons, write these down. Take some notes on your phone. Number one, we romanticize the dysfunction of our past. Right? Because you start this journey into God's freedom, you know, about a relationship or a habit or whatever, and when it gets tough, because it always gets tough, why? Why does it get tough? Why are we on this journey to your promised land? Why is it tough? You think the devil's going to just sit back and watch you waltz into God's blessing? So he comes up against you, he makes it hard. And the moment it gets tough, you look back at your old dysfunctional life and you romanticize the few good things in it. So in this, this time, so this time is described in the Bible from the book of Exodus uh, to the book of Deuteronomy. It's 40 years as they're going from slaves in Egypt to people who are free and have land and homes and blessing in the promised land. And uh, they prayed back in, in bondage for 400 years. They prayed, God, God, please send us a hero. God, send us a deliverer. And God sends him Moses. And they fight him every step of the way. Right. If you read it, it's almost comedic how bad they are. And every time there's pressure or something goes a little sideways on this journey to freedom, they freak out and want to go back to Egypt. So let me show you one example. Uh, Exodus chapter 16, verses 2 and 3 on the screen right now. And here's what the people said. Uh, when they're in the desert, and by the way, it's a food issue, a little lack of food. The Israelites complained against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, it would have been better if the Lord had killed us in Egypt. There, get ready. There we sat around pots with plenty of meat. We ate all the food. We ate. Okay, these are two of the dumbest verses in your Bible. Stay with me. What was every Hebrew's job back in Egypt? Slave. Slave. Never had to ask, hey, what's your job? Are you a doctor? Are you a dentist? Are you a lawyer? Are you a cop? Are you a teacher? Are you a slave? 
Slave, 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 slave. Now let's do a diagnostic on slavery in case you're a little slow. Uh, Dinah, what are the pros and cons of slavery? It's pretty easy. The cons, uh, there are many. The cons are your property. Someone else owns you. They don't treat you like a human being. So they're fine to beat you, to maim you, to murder you, to sell away your children, to sexually abuse you. Uh, what are the pros? They feed you. They feed you. When they beat you and abuse you, they give you food. They're looking back at the food. Oh, my gosh, the food was so great. Those Egyptians were so nice to feed. Are you kidding me? They romanticize the brief moments of something good in their dysfunctional past. I told you all before, if you're in long-term dysfunction, you have some dysfunctions been in your life for a long time during the whole relationship or for decades or maybe your family for generations, uh, you know it's wrong. You know it's dysfunctional. But though you know it's wrong, it's all you know. Right? You kind of get comfortable in it. When you start to break into freedom, freedom's going to feel kind of strange. And freedom will be a little awkward for you. And you'll be tempted to look back at the few positive things in your dysfunction. And by the way, if you had systemic dysfunction, there's typically a community that supports your dysfunction. There's other dysfunctional people and they want you dysfunctional. They benefit in some way from your dysfunction. They profit from your dysfunction. And anybody who benefits from your dysfunction will fight against your freedom. And here's what they do. Here's what your slave masters do. They will give you just enough attention. They will give you just enough love, just enough resources to keep you barely healthy enough or engaged enough that they can continue to exploit you. So they fed them the same way a farmer would feed his cow or his pig before he butchers them. But guess what? Guess what? Look back. Look back at the nice things you bought as you charged up your credit cards. Look back at that guy who used you and abused you all the time. And yes, you were not. Look back and romanticize that. It's fine as long as you want to stay in bondage. But if you want to change, see your past as the past. And your future is freedom in God's promised land. Amen? So make your move. Don't look back. Break off that rearview mirror. Throw it out the window. Not for real. Not talking about cars anymore in your life. Number two thing I see is a bad theology. Bad, the, bad theology will mess you up. And I say three, shout the word theology. One, two, three. Theology. By the way, one o'clock, we got a good crowd today, but you know, the crowds before are crazy massive, but pound for pound, y'all punch well. I'm just telling you, thank you for your response on that. Now, somebody's going, theology, boring, dull. No, 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 no. Yeah, some preachers, we make it boring. I apologize for that. When I talk about theology, I never use non-biblical theological jargon. This is not the way I roll. I don't want to confuse you. I don't want you to be impressed. I got a degree or whatever, a couple degrees, blah, blah, blah. I, wa- I want to communicate with clarity. Um, theology is actually very exciting because theology is a study of the person and the promises of God. What's well, better than that? And, and so as we're kind of bouncing back and forth from First Baptist to here, and it's Charlie and Nick, and it's me and Scott Williams, Scott's going to be back in uh, April. Y'all love Scott. Uh, on the other side of town, I brought back their greatest pastor. So they've had a bunch of, I'm number 18. They've had a bunch of pastors, the oldest church in Broward County. And their greatest pastor, in my opinion, with a bunch of great pastors, but one is O.S. Hawkins. O.S. Hawkins is 74. And that brother, he can shuck the corn, man. He can preach. And uh, O.S., he preached three weeks ago for me. Great, great message. And he preached on a famous, famous verse that Christians love, Romans 8, 28. So we'll jump to that. It's one of those verses, if you don't know the Bible, there's like five or six we just love and cherish, John 3, 16, and the Great Commission, and 23rd Psalm, and this is one, and it's a great verse on the screen right now. It says, uh, for we know that God causes all things to work together 
for good to those who love God, those called for it. What, what a promise. God calls us all the things to work together good for people who love God, called for it. And Christians, we love that verse. We put it on t-shirts and coffee mugs, and right? Bumper stickers. But though it's a love verse, it is a abused verse, a misused verse by Christians all the time. Christians just kind of quote the first half. Well, God calls all things to work together for good. And they do all kinds of stupid things and dumb things all the time. And treat this verse like it's a safety net for your stupid. Like I can just stay in dysfunction or even in sin all the time. And I know I shouldn't. And I know she's wrong for me. And I know blah, 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 right? But, I, but God's going to cause it all to work together for good. Stop it. Stop it. Context, context, context. Shout the word context. One, two, three. Paul didn't write verses. Those verses were added later. They're helpful. They're helpful. Like, you know, chapter and verse that was added many years later. Paul wrote a letter. He wrote a paragraph. You got to see the context. What's the context? I would say the actual paragraph starts in verse 26, where Paul says, and sometimes we don't know how to pray as we should. But the Spirit himself intercedes with us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches the mind knows the heart of the Spirit. Now it's talking about Jesus and he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. That's a great verse. The context before Romans 8, 28, these verses talk about prayer. And as a Christian person, when I pray, heaven moves. You know why? Because when I go to God the Father, God the Spirit, and God the Son, they go to bat for me. That's exciting. Then we get this verse, and we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, those called according to his purpose. What's his purpose? Next verse says, for who he foreknew. These he predestined to become conformed, become conformed, conformed to the image of his son. That's what the verse is about. It's not my circumstances. It's God conforming my character, a requisite issue that my character is consistent with my calling. So God's going to use the good and the bad in my life. He didn't cause it, but he can use it to do the character construction required to step into my purpose. For who he foreknew, these he predestined to become conformed to the image of his son, that Jesus might be the firstborn of many brethren. And who he predestined, these he also called. And whom he called, these he also justified. And whom he justified, these he also glorified. What shall we say to thee? these things. If God be for us, who can dare be against us? He who did not spare up his own son, but will he gave him up for us all, how he would not also with him freely give us all things. Who will bring a charge against God's elect? God's the one who justifies. Who's the one who condemned? Christ Jesus is the one who died, who was raised, who's at the right hand of God, who lives to intercede for us. Who can separate us from the love of God? Can tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? No, it's written in the Old Testament. We're put to death all day long. We're counted as sheep to be slaughtered. Here's what's taking place, scholars. Paul wrote the book of Romans to people who lived in. Thank you, thank you, Rome. (laughs) What's happening in the historical context? Nero, a psychopath, has burned half the city. He blames it on Christians as a scapegoat, and they're now killing Christians. Any Christian they can find in the city, men, women, they're, they're persecuting, they're assassinating, they're, they're burning them, they're throwing them to the lions in the Colosseum. This is not about these Christians making bad, dysfunctional decisions. They're being attacked. And in the context, Paul says, guess what? God's bigger than that. And he's aware of your pain. He didn't cause your pain, but he can use your pain. We're being put to death all day long, it says. We're counting sheep to be slaughtered. But the next verse says, but in all these things, 
We are more than conquerors through Christ who loved us, for I am convinced neither death nor life or angels or principalities or things present or things to come, nor powers, nor height or depth. Nothing can separate you from the love of God which is found in Christ Jesus our Lord. Context is God's love and his purpose. He's not giving us permission to make bad decisions all the time. All things don't work out for good. No, 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 no. I'll say as plain as I know how. God cannot bless stupid. You should take a picture of that. Take a picture of that. You should turn to your neighbor, to your neighbor and say, uh, you should probably write that down right there. I know he's not talking to you, but you should probably write that down right now. God can't bless stupid. So be wise. Make God decisions. Choose to change. Treating this half a verse like it's a promise. I can do any old dysfunctional, broken thing and God's going to work it out is not what God promises. He can forgive you every time, but the consequences here on earth will mess you up. And God wants to spare you from that pain. We got to be wise, make good choices. Third reason we don't change, simply insecurity. Anybody here ever insecure? Some of y'all are too insecure to raise your hand because you feel so insecure, right? Or, or, or fear, or fear. Listen, making God changes like this, it, it, it's scary. Uh, I mean, I, I tell you guys every week, you know, there are prayer partners at the edge of the stage who will help lead you into a salvation decision. Some of y'all don't know you're saved, but you're a little frightened. You're, you're intimidated to come forward and talk with somebody. It's going to be so nice to you and explain things. You know, baptism will baptize you at the end of the service. And uh, that's the way you announce your freedom in Christ. It's the way you make a statement right in your own heart. And uh, you know this, but you're intimidated to do that. Listen, I, I get it. Change like this, changing a relationship, going to celebrate recovery for the first time, whatever. It's a little scary. So back to Moses. I love Moses. Remember back when God called Moses initially? He, he's an old man. He's in the desert. He sees the whole burning bush thing. And he shows up. And God says, you're my boy. Go to Egypt and set the people free. And, and Moses, he's intimidated, so he makes excuses. He begs off. He tries to beg off. He says, God, uh, what if they ask your name? I don't know your name. Uh, God, God, what if, they, what if they say I never saw you? They don't believe me. And then the most famous one is uh, chapter 4, verse 10. Uh, he, he says, he says well, what if I get tongue-tied or my work? I'm, I'm a terrible speaker, God. You need a leader who, who's good at speaking. I'm terrible. I stutter. I stammer. That's a famous one, right? Oh, he, he couldn't speak. What if I showed you? That's not true. But if I showed you, I don't think Moses is trying to lie to God. I just think he's discouraged. I think he's discouraged. I actually think Moses was a great speaker. If we back up 80 years before this, you know, the famous story, the first part of Genesis, uh, when Moses is a baby boy, his mama puts him in the little boat, puts the little boat in the Nile. The Nile is fished out by Pharaoh's family, so he does not grow up in his Hebrew household. He grows up with the Egyptians. Now, why, why, why did God do that? My theory is this. He was going to be called as a grown-up to lead a nation to freedom, and you can't lead other people to freedom with a slave mentality. So sometimes God will pluck you out of a slave environment or a negative environment, put you in an environment, not a comfortable environment, it was a hard environment, because Pharaoh's household, Pharaoh, they were, Pharaoh was ruthless, but they could lead. And young people also meant that Moses could take advantage of the greatest education in the world. We know from history, the Egyptians were on the cutting edge of things like engineering, architecture, mathematics, and language, and language. You know, written language originated probably in Africa, Egypt, maybe Mesopotamia, but, but Africa, it's where written language, hieroglyphics. And we know they're the first people to innovate paper, papyrus. 
So he's in this culture where he's going to be drilled and trained on language, written language, and no doubt oratory as well. Trained in public speaking. But here he is, he's 80 years old. He tried 40 years before to set the people free, and it went terrible. Mary killed an Egyptian. You can't do God's work using the devil's methods. And so, um, so he tried and he failed. So he now spends decades in the desert. He dreamt of some time he could free the people, but now the dream has died through the decades of discouragement. God says, you're to go. And he's like, man, I, I can't. I love the idea of God, but I don't know enough, and I don't know your name, and I, I, I'm a terrible speaker. I can't, you need a speaker, and I'm, I'm a terrible. Well, if I can show you, he wasn't trying to lie to God, but he was lying to God. See, the best commentary on your Old Testament is your New Testament. Look on the screen right now, Acts chapter 7. This is remarkable. The speaker in Acts chapter 7 is a guy named Stephen. Stephen's a remarkable Christian man. He's a lay minister. He's going to be the first person after Jesus to die for the faith. These are your final words, this great, brilliant sermon. He's talking to a Hebrew audience. He goes through Hebrew history, history and he mentions every Hebrew hero. And so, of course, he talks about Moses. And he says this about Moses in verse 22. Look at this detail. I love brilliant biblical detail. It says, Moses was educated in all the wisdom of the Egyptians. We know that, right? And look at this. And was powerful in speech. What's going on back in chapter 4 of Exodus? I can't speak. Who, who's wrong? Who's, did somebody lie? Who can we trust? The Bible says that Stephen, when he sp- spoke, was full of God's wisdom and full of God's spirit. The one who's accurate is Stephen. Here's what the devil will do when you're trying to find your freedom. He will attach a false fear to something that's a strength or a gift. He'll make you phobic to try something. That's why someone in a few moments, you're going to be debating your heart, do I go forward and talk to a prayer partner? That fear, that anxiety is not coming from God. It never does. God always calls us to freedom. But sometimes you're going to be strong or good or powerful, and the enemy makes you afraid of that very thing. Trust God's Word. Everything God calls you to do, He will empower you to accomplish. Quickly, number four. I think we grow comfortable with our dysfunction. That's been the premise of all these talks. You know, you've been in dysfunction a long time, systemic or generational dysfunction. Uh, you know it's wrong. You know it's dysfunctional, but it becomes your norm. And you, you know it's broken, but it's, it's, it's bad, but it's familiar. And I, I, I take this language, this time right from this very passage, back to chapter 16, verse 1 and verse 2, different translation this time. It says, the whole community of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron there in the wilderness. And the Israelites said, why didn't God let us die in I told you, stupid verse. Why didn't God let us die in comfort in Egypt? If I gave you, hey, you get one word to describe slavery, what you picking? You know, miserable, oppression, terrible, dehumanizing, cruel, comfort, comfort. They grown comfortable. Let me show you how it happens. It happens, it, it happens all, not all at once, it happens over a process of time. When you're in a place or in a relationship, you should not be too long. How, how, how did God's people get to Egypt in the first place? How'd they go from the promised land, get to Egypt, where all these 400 years of slavery take place? You back up to a guy in Genesis named Jacob. Say the name Jacob. Jacob, Jacob, a famous guy. I got of Abraham, Isaac, J- Jacob, that dude. So, so Jacob, Jacob took his family to Egypt. Why, why, why? There was a famine. And in Egypt, they had resourcing. 
So he had, a, he had a family member in Egypt, his son, who's the prime minister, said, come on down, dad, bring the whole clan, and I'll provide food and protection. So originally, originally, Egypt was a place of protection and provision. But Egypt was also very pagan. Think about the religion of Egypt. They didn't worship the true God. Jacob's family, they were God worshipers. They worshiped all these, these false deities, these nature deities. The pharaohs thought themselves as, as gods at all, you know, uh, Horus and, and, and Isis and Ra, all the, all, Anubis, all these gods. They had dozens of gods. So they're in a culture that is pagan. Now, they stayed there. Why'd they stay there? Well, the famine, the Bible says, was over in seven years. So why didn't, why didn't Jacob, or his descendants at least, take the family back to the promised land? They built homes. They built businesses. They got comfortable in the pagan culture. And what happens is God's people, if we get too comfortable in the pagan culture, we acclimate and assimilate to it. And I think the first seeds of slavery were sown back then. Listen, a lot of y'all are in toxic relationships. When it started out, it seemed healthy and functional, but something changed. And now it's bondage. You got too comfortable when dysfunction began to rear its ugly head. I, I explain it this way. I, the people, by the time you get to Exodus, they identify as Hebrew, but they think like Egyptians. You don't believe me? Um, okay, when Moses went to the mountaintop to get the Ten Commandments and they thought he stayed too long, he tarried too long, and they wanted to go back to Egypt once again, what did they do? Uh, put on Egyptian clothes, like the Pharaoh, what did they do? No, they made a religious idol, right? Because they recognized they're pagans. Quickly, they knew exactly the playbook to assimilate. The, here's what I'm trying to get to. A lot of Christians are concerned that the church is not influencing the culture more. My concern is how much the culture is influencing the church. If I can use the language of the narrative, a lot of y'all, you say your faith is Hebrew, but your worldview is Egyptian. And in some of these big issues right now we're wrestling with as a culture, we're not with love and without judgment running to the Word of God. You're just reflecting the nonsense of our culture. Hey, listen, I've been here 25 years now. So I have one hip, I guess. I've been here a long time. Uh, um, I have people been in our church for years and tap out. They used to write a letter. Now they post and say, I can't believe you believe or teach. Well, I'm like, I haven't changed. For 20 plus years, this church is built on two things, Jesus and his word. And we never beat people up with the Bible. We're not judgmental. You can disagree things and be part of our family and hang out with us. But I will always teach you the truth of God's word because to accept what the culture says and not what the word of God says, to assimilate like that, it does not lead to freedom. It leads to bondage. And I know messages like this make you uncomfortable, but if you want to get yourself free, you must be willing to get uncomfortable. I'm going to move on to the last one, and it gets even worse. Here we go. Here's the main. Here's the main. And listen, church, church is not helpful if I just share platitudes. If I say nice, cute little things, and you feel good. No, I, sometimes I got to get it all up in your stuff. Why don't you change? For a lot of us in the room, we don't change. You don't change because you really don't want to change. You tell other people, I need to change. I know I need to change. You say it out loud. You even say it to the person in the mirror, like, oh, we, need, we, need to, we need to do better. We need to change. But you get honest, you don't want to change. Why is that? Maybe you recognize change is hard. It's not just saying a prayer, right, and reading a Bible verse. It's, it's hard, man. Change, change requires sacrifice and, and difficulty and discipline. Uh, it will cost you something most times. There's something you have to sacrifice to move forward. There's, there's some, some price you pay. In fact, if I can vent for a moment, one of my pastoral pet peeves is this, Financial Peace University. I love y'all, hundreds of you people registered and you're taking Financial Peace right now this semester. 
that's great. But thousands of y'all need to. Because you're in debt and you're stressed out and you have all this. I don't know why. why. Maybe you're afraid that it's going to cost me something, not financially, but discipline and changing my spending habits. And you're not willing to pay the price, so you stay in bondage. A great theologian said this one time, this is so good about, about the cost, said, the price of freedom is high. It always has been. And it's a price I'm willing to pay. That theologian was Captain America, Captain America in the Winter Soldier movie. And I know he's not a theologian, but that's really, really good because it is costly to take a journey to freedom. Y'all taking pictures of Captain America. I love that. That's our church right there. And the final reason, I'll just throw this that we don't want to change is sin is fun. It's fun. Some of you are like, does he know that? Yeah, I know that. I know sin. I'm aware. Someone's told me, right? Sin, sin is fun. Some of you are, are uncomfortable with that giant the statement. We know. The Bible acknowledges sin is fun. That's why temptation is so darn tempting. There's some excitement. There's something illicit. There's something you know, tantalizing. There's something so sin. The Bible says sin is fun at first, at first. And the best example of any verse that acknowledges this might be in Hebrews, New Testament. And the example is our boy Moses. It says in Hebrews 11:25, he, Moses, chose to share in the oppression of God's people instead of enjoying the fleeting. It's talking about when he's back in the palace. We know from history, the Egyptian court had the best food and the best wine, and you'd have a bunch of servants and slaves and concubines. You had unlimited power. You could abuse other people. That, that's how he, how he grew up. But he recognized he had to turn his back on the pleasure of sin to step into his destiny. There's somebody right now, man, sin, sin's just fun. Getting high is fun. Sleeping around is fun. All that stuff. You know you shouldn't, but you're having a good time right now. You think God's anti-fun. No, God loves you. He recognized the devil is a murderer and a liar. The devil is not trying to do you a favor, bro. He's like, oh, look at Biff, man. Biff, Biff worked so hard, such a good husband. He deserves a little fun. He is setting a trap to murder and destroy everything you deem precious. The Bible says the wage of sin is death. If I continue in my sin, something always dies. Not at first, not at first. It's fun at first. Eventually, eventually. And so I have to say no to that to find my freedom. I got to step into my freedom. It's hard. I know it's hard. But what, what's, that, what's your action step today? What, what's that relationship you need to change, manage, sever? Uh, who needs to go to celebrate recovery? Who needs to choose baptism, declare your freedom? What, what is it? What, salvation? What, what is that thing? I don't, I'm not the Holy Spirit, but the Holy Spirit will get very specific. Will you have the courage to change? I get it. It's hard. I'm not judging. It, it's tough. So, um, I drive an Infiniti SUV. That's what I drive right now. Pre-owned. A nice car, but my, oh, my car before that, I loved. Nicest car my whole life. Oh, my, six years old. Beautiful, uh, big, black, giant SUV. I probably didn't mention the rims. The rims, the rims were beautiful. Loved driving that car. But that car, that car, I actually reached out to Roger, my mechanic, because it was in the shop all the time. I said, Roger, that car, I loved that car. That car was beautiful. Nice car. I said, how many times is that car in your shop over the 18 months? 11 different times. It was in the shop more than it was in my driveway. I mean, just something all the time breaking, all the time going wrong, but it was so beautiful. You know, I, did, I, did, I kept hanging in there. And finally, finally, I took it back to the dealership because I had this issue. It was vibrating when it went 50 miles an hour. And when I was in the dealership trying to fix something with the alignment, the guy goes, by the way, do you know your, your AC compressor's out? I'm like, I got to trade. I got to trade. Give me an estimate, what's it, what's it worth? I'm gonna take a hit, but I gotta change cars. I gotta change, I didn't wanna change. 
but I did. Let me help you understand, for the brothers right now, for the men, ladies, just, just zone out for the men. That, that SUV for me was like a beautiful woman. I'm a beautiful woman, right? I love looking at that car. Beautiful, but, she, but she's a bad girl. She's a bad girl. Uh, she lies to you. She steals from you. I, I think she's dating my brother, right? She, she's bad. And you want to break up. You should break up. You look at her. She's so beautiful. I can't, I can't. One more try. One more try, right? You know she's wrong. Make the change. Make the change. Freedom is calling your name. It broke God's heart watching His people in Egypt language under the tyranny and oppression of slavery. Your slavery is self-imposed. Let me imitate Moses. God's calling us the promised land. But you can't get there, stay in your seat. You've got to make a move. So what is your move? What is your action step? What's the way your faith becomes flesh and moves? All you do is leave a little inspired. I have not done my job. What is your decision? So for somebody, it's to come to a prayer partner and pray the salvation prayer. For somebody else, it's to delete that person from your phone. Because every time they reach out, they're stupid, and their stupid's contagious, and you make a bad decision. Does that sound harsh? No, listen, freedom ain't a game. Freedom is not for the timid or cowards. It takes courage. But God is calling you to be free. Jesus said, whom the Son, whom the Son, whom the Son has set free is free indeed. This is your moment. Answer the clarion call to God's freedom. Father God, thank you so much that you are that kind of savior. You're an emancipator. You're the divine abolitionist. And God, today in this house, you're going to set someone free. We're going to have courage and make a move and make those changes. It's your favorite thing to do. We make this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks again for listening to this week's message. We hope you enjoyed the podcast today. To hear more messages like this, make sure you subscribe and share with your friends. Don't forget to stay connected with us by following us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at CBGlades at Pastor D. Hughes.